You're now tuned in to the Desire to Trade podcast, a show where we bring you the best figures of the trading world and teach you how you can become a successful trader. This is your host, Etienne Kret. Hey, what's up, today? It's Franky from the Desire to Trade. So today you're going to get a bonus, which is a Q&A session I did with Dr. Andrew Maneker. If you listen to the episode, I think it's episode 34. Andrew Maneker was there, and he shared really great advice. So I invited him yesterday to do a Q&A session with the community. If you want to become a better trader, then you have to listen to this. You have to take action on this, because this is what will set you apart from other people. So make sure you listen to it until the end. And if you have any questions, reach out to me, let me know. If you want to receive an email every time I'm doing things like that, make sure you check out this trade. Make sure you subscribe to the newsletter. You're going to be able to get as well my checklist. Go on disastertrade.com forward slash checklist. Make sure you subscribe to the newsletter and I'll make sure I send you everything that I'm doing in the future. As always, I'll be back on Monday with a new podcast episode and I'll see you soon. So yeah, so we have a couple of people with a lot of experience today. A lot of people will, will, with less experience. I see one with 25 years. That's pretty cool. So that's great. I'm going to ask the person a question. Is it 25 years trading on your own or were you trading professionally for part of that? That's interesting. We'll see. Who is that? Uh, Ronaldo. So Ronaldo just let us know. Uh, Andrew, what, what I want to do first is I want you to uh, tell us your story a little bit. So tell us about yourself and maybe just tell us the story of how you started to get involved in trading. Cause that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I never planned on being a trader. Um, I went to school and, psychology. And when I came out of school, I had a lot of student loan debt. And I was nervous about paying that off. And I was able to, through a a professor of mine, I was able to get a a part-time consulting job, or it wasn't a job, it was a contract position um, with, actually with the US government, with the Defense Department of all um, agencies. And so I ended up working part-time doing consulting work doing training and stress management work for the Defense Department. Um, Specifically, I was at a naval air base here in the Bay Area and doing interesting work. And uh, one day, back in 1995, an incident occurred that um, involved an armed employee of the base, a civilian employee of the base, showed up heavily armed at the front gate. And I was called in to resolve the situation. And as a result of that, I um, spent about four hours talking to this individual. Um, I was wearing, a, I had to wear a bulletproof vest. I had, you know, there were guns everywhere, military police, civilian police. It was a pretty big scene. After about four or five hours, this person actually did lay down their arms. And I realized after that, that there was really something going on here, that I, that I was able to connect with someone and, and change their response to a situation. And, and after that, it really it made me think a lot about my work. Now, there's another thing that happened during that day. During that day, I was also supposed to be going to an interview for a uh, for a postdoc. After you get your doctorate in the U.S., you have to do another internship before you can get licensed. I was going for a postdoc internship, um, and I couldn't get to the in, to the interview because I was stuck at this airbase dealing with the situation. Um, and what happened was, I I called the person who was going to interview me and I explained my situation that I could not, that I, I apologize. I couldn't come. Could we perhaps reschedule? Um, and to my, you know, I was very lucky 
and they agreed to reschedule. And I think it was only because I told them what had happened. It wasn't that I was sick or something like that. I was really involved in a very serious situation. It actually got into the media. It was actually even in the newspaper. So this person, they rescheduled me, and, and it turned out it was what, what I was applying for was actually um, um, an internship through through Wells Fargo Bank of all places. I had no knowledge, and at the time, honestly, I didn't really have much interest in financial markets, but I, I really needed the money. And so um, when I got into the interview, um, they were asking me all about you know my background, and I told them straight up, I have no background in finance. I've not had a single business class, but they really appreciated my my judgment the work that i did um, at that naval air base and they actually gave me the position and that position involved working with traders and analysts and all different types of people at the bank and as a result of that i got exposed to markets now this is back in 1995 when all this happened and the very first trader that i ever worked with um, back then really this was an institutional bank trader really opened my eyes to to trading and so i got and this was you know the mid 90s mid to late 90s and markets were really heating up we had the dot-com um, boom happening i live here in san francisco and so everybody was trading or thinking about trading and so i got caught up in it as well um, the interesting thing for me is that my first exposure to trading was through um, through an institution through a bank I wasn't trading at the bank, but I was working with bank traders. So that was my very first experience with trading. Um, very different than the typical independent trader that you know opens up a, a retail trading account and joins a chat room or a service or something like that and tries to trade. So I had I came in from a whole different side. So did you ever uh, kind of blow up an account or had trouble oh, with yeah. trading? Sure. Okay. Yeah, Definitely right. a, few, a few different um, accounts, I believe. So it's been a long time. I can't remember all of them, but some futures accounts. Um, definitely. Cause I didn't know how to handle the leverage, you know, opening mm -hmm. up small accounts and then blowing them out, opening up another small account and then blowing it out. Um, I think a lot of people do that. Um, yeah, yeah. It's pretty yeah, common. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. So guys, if I've, if at any point you have any question about, uh, what we're talking about today, just type it in the chat box. We'll make sure that we answer them. We'll make sure that we cover what you have to, to get, uh, what you want to know about. And I guess, Andrew, the, the next question I have for you is how how does working uh, with uh, like w how does working in trading and working uh, kind of as an uh, ostage uh, like kind of in a difficult situation how does how does that relate exactly? Yeah. Well, you know that was my one real experience with kind of the hostage negotiation thing. Well, actually, I have done threat assessment before, but how how it relates to trading is is this. When we are trading, regardless of how strong our edge is, regardless of how much we believe on our edge, when we're trading, we're going to become uncomfortable. We're going to become uncomfortable for a variety of reasons, and the discomfort that comes, comes in a variety of ways. It manifests in a variety of ways. So what I've learned from my previous experiences to trading and, and the threat assessment, hostage negotiation, I've done behavioral profiling, I've done a lot of crisis-oriented kind of work, what I've learned is that that stuff prepared me for trading because what trading is all about, in my opinion, it's about identifying opportunity while simultaneously managing your risk. And that's a really uncomfortable thing to do. It's a very uncomfortable thing to do, waiting for the right entry. 
getting out and wondering if it's going to keep going or if it's going to come back against you if you want to hold on to it. T taking a loss, obviously, that's the one that's obviously very uncomfortable. But there's so many examples of being uncomfortable and how we get triggered, our discomfort gets triggered in trading. And so my belief, and I've I, I picked up on this very early on in my trading career, and it was a result of my background, is that our trading careers are defined by how we respond to discomfort in all of its various forms. Mm, that's powerful. Yeah, you know, powerful. So I've oriented my, my trading and my coaching around that. So I guess people kind of start trading without too much discomfort, right? And then that, that gets increased over time is, is that right um that's one way to put it yeah i think that 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 happens um yeah i think people come into it you know in the very 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 beginning i think people have no idea what trading involves they just think that oh i just follow this and do that and i got to take a few losses here and there and that'll be okay they have no idea that the work involves responding to discomfort over and over and over so how does that discomfort develop exactly? How does it, what? I'm sorry, I didn't. How does the, uh, the discomfort develop over time? How does it develop over time? Yeah, is it through well, experience or? Well, it doesn't develop. I mean, it's, 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 it's there instantly. I mean, when you are mm -hmm. looking for, looking to get into a trade, you're going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to be uncomfortable. We're going to be uncomfortable because we're going to wonder if it's going to work. Some of us don't have that much discomfort around entry. So we get in, we're okay. But then we wonder, is it going to continue to work? Is it not working now? If I get out, is it going to keep going? So the discomfort, there's, it, it can develop at any point along the sequence of a trade or at any point along the sequence of the development of a trader. So in my opinion, the discomfort is always there. It just gets, it's just waiting to get triggered by the market, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's, I should say the potential for discomfort is always there. And discomfort is not only caused by, by losses, right? Could be wins, right? And it could also be caused by waiting. Discomfort, okay. like I said earlier, and I really want to emphasize this, discomfort comes in a wide, wide variety of ways and for a wide variety of reasons, not just taking a loss, but waiting is a big one, waiting for the right entry, as well as while you're in a trade, waiting for it to work. Those are also very uncomfortable for many people. So mm -hmm. the discomfort comes in a lot of different ways. You have to really recognize that and be, mm -hmm. and be honest with yourself. Otherwise, you're going to be in denial. So yeah, there's one in one way for sure. That's interesting. Now, I guess since everyone here probably had this comfort before, what would be the first thing to think about when you want to learn how to deal? Because we cannot avoid it, right? But you have to no, learn to deal with yeah. it. So, you know, it's it's an emotional state. When we're uncomfortable, our emotions are, are, are being activated. And what I'm going to say is that we are, as humans, we may be very logical, we may be very intelligent, we may be a very intellectual person. Regardless, we're still emotional creatures. Neuroscientists, a lot of the leading neurologists nowadays are recognizing through the through MRI, um, functional magnetic resonance imaging studies are showing more and more the dominance of the emotional areas of the brain. To think that, to, or to imagine, or the idea that you're going to be able to think your way around emotions, it's not very realistic. So here's, here's a, a nice analogy that I use um, sometimes with clients is if you think of emotion as water and that water will eventually find its outlet and the outlet that emotional energy will find 
will either be, it'll either somaticize into the body, tension, the disease process, a headache, muscle tension, uh, rapid heart rate, something. It'll either go into the body or, and or it'll come out in a behavior. You know, you see this a lot. I'm a parent. If you've, my, my kid's a teenager now, but if, you have, if you've ever been around young kids, babies, when a person does not have the ability to speak before they have a vocabulary, how do they express the feelings they have inside of them? It's through their actions. It's through their behavior. That's the primary, that's the first way that we learn how to express ourselves is through our behavior. And so if you have a lot of buildup of emotional energy, one of the best ways you can reduce the odds that it's going to get expressed in your behavior in a trade is to put that emotion into words. That's finding an alternative outlet for the emotional energy. Because remember I said the emotional energy is like water. Eventually it will find an outlet. So if you can direct a lot of that emotional energy towards an outlet that's perhaps more productive or maybe less damaging um, vis-a-vis words on paper, writing out exactly how you feel, very honest with it, not just simply say, I'm anxious. That's not enough. You need to get much more granular why are you anxious? What does it feel like to be anxious? What happens when you get anxious? What do you usually do? You need to really dive into it. The more you dive into it, the more you're actually, you're actually going to bleed off, believe it or not, the energy of the emotion. You're not going to build it. A lot of people think, well, I don't want to go into the negative thinking because positive thinking is what's going to really help me to survive and, and prosper. And what I'm going to say, this is an interesting one, positive thinking is necessary but it's not sufficient by itself. And I have so many clients. I just have a new one I just started with last week who's been through years of affirmations, NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, uh, emo-free therapy, tapping. He's done everything. He walks around every day with 30 affirmations in the morning that he recites to himself in the morning on his morning walk and and all kinds of other procedures he's been doing for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. He's training the exact same way. Nothing has changed for him. And the reason is that, and I've seen this a lot, and, and those, you know, those, I'm not throwing those techniques under the bus because there's actually some, there's some helpful aspects to some of that stuff. And I actually use some of those, some of those things myself. The problem is there's a lot of emotional energy that needs to be dealt with. And those techniques don't deal with the emotional energy. And I'll, I'll say this too. This is a, an idea that I, I want to get out there more and more. A lot of people, there's a, there's a big misunderstanding, I believe, that unfortunately is being, um, it, it's not intentionally being spread, but it, the, the idea that we can change our belief system by simply changing our thoughts. And I'm going to say, I'm going to call BS on that. I think we can change our belief system, but it takes a lot more than just changing your thoughts. And the reason I say that is because I believe that it's very, first of all, it's very difficult to just to separate a thought from a feeling. So what I've seen over the years, and there's some research to support this, but certainly my anecdotal research, my own personal experience with myself and my clients definitely supports this. But there is even some some actual written anecdotal research out there that supports it too, that dealing with the underlying subconscious motivations first, or at least simultaneously, as you're engaging in the positive thinking is really what's what's been missing. And and I just want to, you know, I think a lot of people really need to hear that. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I think it's definitely true. Because people try to find a, like a way to fix things quickly, right? Exactly. And, think- 
Yeah, and you know, and hey, people come to trading because they want to get rich quickly. So yeah. unfortunately, you got a skewed audience here because people come in, not you, but I'm just saying in general. Yeah. Most traders, they want to make their money quickly. They want to quit that job. They want to retire or they want to support their retirement or whatever it is. They have goals and they want to get to those goals quickly. Mm-hmm. And same thing with the psych stuff. They want to knock that stuff out quickly too. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing you applied since the last time we spoke during the podcast interview is really the idea of having a journal and like mm-hmm. noting down, first of all, how you feel, but then why you feel that way. Yeah, and the why. That really helped a lot. Yeah. yeah. That really helped. You know, the more honest you can be with yourself with what you're feeling. And, you know, a lot of people, especially men, but not always men, have difficulty understanding how they feel and being able to attach a word to it or describe it with any real kind of granularity. Because the more detailed, and there is definitely research, there's interesting empirical research on this, but the more detailed, the more granular, the more fine you know, the more granular you get in your description of how you're feeling, the more helpful it is, the, the less chance that, that the emotion is going to get expressed into a behavior. And there's really, there's some very interesting empirical research. So it kind of runs counter to the whole idea that you should only think positively when you're trading. Mm-hmm. So it's about being aware of how you, how you That's feel. That's about being honest with yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a question in the chat box, which I'm kind of curious to get your idea on, because I, I think it can vary on a, like a few different topics. And it's about the idea of uh, someone who's trying to switch from a demo account to a live account. Mm, yeah. Boy, and the person keeps pro- procrastinating to switch f- between the account, probably because of fear or something like that, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, tr- trading live is nothing like trading demo. So... Now, I'm not going to ever tell anyone what they should do, but I will mm-hmm. say what I would do if I were in your shoes, and I've seen some clients do this successfully as well, is one idea, an alternative, is that you know, the idea of moving from demo to cash, is, is, it's a very stark, uh, maybe stark's not the right word, it's a very uh, significant, it's a very powerful change that it represents. So what mm-hmm. I would suggest is maybe make the change a little bit less powerful by trading live as small as you can in other words when you first move to live whatever product it is that you're trading try and trade the very smallest position that your broker will allow literally i mean just tiny 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 size so you won't perhaps feel as much of the emotion that's going with the trades that definitely will show up when you're trading you know when you're trading cash so yeah i would say I've seen a lot of people try and work out their psych issues demo. It's not going to happen. The only way to work out psych issues is live really. Um, And it's cost money because you're going to lose money. So that's why I tell people start really small, as small as you can be. Mm -hmm. That's interesting though. But so uh, I think overall people have to realize that if they want to resolve their issue psychologically, right, they have to be able to lose money a little bit. Because they're going to have to trade live, right? Yeah. You, you have to be willing. You have to learn how to lose to, in order to win in trading. Mm-hmm. And a lot, of, yeah, a lot of people are trading not to lose. And if you're trading not to lose, if you, you know, gosh, I can remember this a couple of years ago. Actually, I can think of a few of them now, but one in particular jumps right to my forefront of my mind. I had a conversation with a potential coaching client a few years ago. And turned out I, ne- I decided not to work with them because I, d- I didn't really like what I was hearing in my first call with them, which was they didn't they were not realistic as to what their expectations were around trading. 
they thought that they had such a powerful edge that they could be able to really have, you know, very few, very few losses. And um, they were not prepared for what trading really is. It's going to really involve because even the best edge in the world is not going to, Hey, it's not going to last forever. Market conditions change. There's always new catalysts coming in and out of the market. Sometimes your edge is stronger than other times. So this person was not realistic at all. And they, they wanted uh, their, ex- I could just sense that their expectations were, were, were such that they weren't going to get really what they thought they should get, which is I want to be an emotion-free trader. And I was trying to explain to them that that's not going to be possible. Um, but just hearing that, and this person was so insistent on it, and that they were not really prepared, not prepared for the fact that trading is a very, it's a very emotional thing. It's, it's impossible to avoid it. So I basically told this person, I said, no, you're going to have to learn, A, how to lose. You're going to have to learn how to be more flexible, more adaptive, and really understand what trading is all about. You know, and then you'll probably have a chance at, at making it. And I left it at that with them. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned a key topic, which is expectation. Now, I think this can be really dangerous, right? For traders. Oh, really dangerous. It's sneaky the way it works, yeah. too. Really sneaky. It happens so, to me. It happens to all of us. So go ahead and tell us what's the deal with with expectation then. Yeah, it works in so many different ways. Um, I mean, you know, we have our targets on the chart. We have expectations around our P&L. Mm-hmm. We have expectations all, all over the place. And whatever the, the main thing to remember about expectations is that when you have an expectation, all of a sudden you're now more rigid than you were before you had that expectation. Just by the mere fact that you even have an expectation, you now have, there's something in your mind that you are targeting, that you're looking for. And as a result, you're going to be subject to things like confirmation bias, which is, you know, where you only take in information or allow yourself to take information that confirms your, your existing belief and ignore or discount other other information. You're going to be now susceptible to things like confirmation bias the rigidity, the lack of adaptability. And so what happens is expectations, they're they're bad because you cannot adapt. They don't allow us to adapt to what's happening in the present moment. And things things move, things change. Markets are in constant motion. There's constantly new catalysts coming in and out of the market. And when we have expectations, it just makes us rigid and we're unable to adapt. So I'm I'm always on the lookout for when I start to have expectations because eventually, as I do, I mean, it's impossible to not to trade without them. You know, I, I'm a realist. We're humans. We're going to have expectations. But I'm always trying to make sure that I don't give too much energy to my expectations. Because if I give them too much energy, then I become too rigid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you ever set goals with the people you work with? Oh, yeah. You have to set goals. But you have to find the right types of goals. That's what's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, because I think people they're, they're never financial. I I never ever ever like to have financial goals with people. I mean, I, I actually have actually. I should take that back. I had one client, and I can't okay. even tell you his name because he allows me to use his name because he, he reached his goal. Adam Nadler, who was when I began working with him in March of 2013, he had a one million dollar account. Actually, it was not even his money. It was given to him by um, a very 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 successful trader, and as to trade his capital for him. And Adam wanted to have his best year ever. He wanted to get to, you know, he wanted to make a couple million or more. So what we did is we worked together every week for the rest of that year. And he ended up 
at the end of the year, he ended up with that account had 3.6 million. So he ended up making two and a half million. It was kind of his goal to make a few million. And so he reached it. But that's not something I would ever recommend to anyone else. Um, process goals. Process mm-hmm. goals are much more helpful than an end goal or a content goal, like a dollar amount. And so tell us about an example, let's say, of process goal. Mm-hmm. There, they can, there's a, many, many, many different kinds, and they can a lot of different, really different types. I mean, one very simple, and it sounds really simple, and a lot of people will probably hear it and go, well, I need more goals than that. But I can tell you, if you just focus on this one goal, it will actually change your trading. And the goal would be that before any time you enter a trade, this would be especially for people who have a lot of impulse issues, you put on a lot of impulse trades. The goal for you would be before you put on a trade, you need to have your pen on your paper writing for a few minutes about as honestly as you can about what you're feeling and why you're feeling it. Really, what you're feeling and why you're feeling it. If you make that a goal that every day for two weeks, you're going to write, and you might miss a trade because you're busy writing, and that's okay. We're not saying you got to get on every trade. That's not the goal. The goal is to write about what you're feeling, to deal with that emotional energy. And what will happen is, hopefully, if you do, if you actually are honest with yourself, because the degree of honesty with yourself and how emotionally intelligent you are, how aware you are is a big factor here. If you're somewhat aware and honest with yourself, you know, you're going to see a reduction in impulse trades. You definitely will. So the goal here is, the goal is not reduction in impulse trades. The goal is, I'm going to write every time I want to put on a trade. That's the goal. So it's about something you can do physically, right? Something that you can do that's pretty much guaranteed you can do. Everyone can pull out a pen and write on a paper. You know, mm-hmm. piece, you know that's, that's pretty much, pretty much, pretty much all of us can do that. So it's a very attainable goal. Will people do it? That's another question. Because people will say, oh, I might miss a trade. and I don't really think it's going to help me. And I hope I understand the concept, but I don't think that really applies to me. You know, I'll get all kinds of, you'll hear all kinds of excuses. Mm-hmm. So, what would be other example of process goal? Mm-hmm. God, there's like, there's hundreds, hundreds. I yeah, mean, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, they're really idiosyncratic to the client. Um, mm-hmm. When I work with a client, a big part of what I'm doing is learning as much as I can about them and their process, and then I try and identify places in their process that we can, you know, that I can intervene in and, and create some process goals around. Maybe completely changing that part of the process for them, or maybe. They think they're in a process that they're doing, but they're really not doing it. So um, uh, it could be something as simple. You know, sometimes we do go for, all right, we're going to um, see if we can get a 25% reduction in impulse trades in the next month. A lot of times my clients like that as a process goal, but I have to tell them, look, we're probably going to have to have kind of sub goals, like I talked about the writing as an example a few minutes ago. It's kind of sub goals or process goals that are that kind of nest underneath the big process goal of reduction in impulse trades to kind of meet the bigger process goal. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a layering of goals on top of goals and it, it really, it's very unique to each individual. So I could come across, I could come out and here's a bunch of process goals, but it's not, you know, even if someone thinks it is their, um, it's their issue. It, Maybe there's another goal you should be working on right now. In other words, it's, um, I will say this, the idea of writing before you put on a trade, the idea of writing when you 
should be taking off a trade or considering taking off a trade. Those are goals that I think everyone should go for. Those are great process goals. I would encourage everyone to go for those. Mm-hmm. Now, the do you ever find people? About... No, go ahead. I was going to say, the more you can write honestly about what, what's going on inside of yourself, I think you, you, have, you stand a better chance of improving your trading. Mm-hmm. And do you ever find people kind of resisting to this activity? Yeah, they, they resist consciously and they also resist subconsciously. Um, okay. Both, yeah. They resist consciously because, A, a lot of times people don't have the experience or the, the background or the comfort of, around identifying how they feel. They don't even have the, the, the words or they've lived a life, they've grown up being told to never be emotional and certainly don't express your feelings. So they have a, it, sometimes, a lot of times actually, with a lot of my clients, there's a lot of work in the beginning around teaching them how to become aware on a deeper level of what they're really feeling. There's lots of layers of denial that sort of have to get worked through because we've built up these, this armor around us, especially guys, but even women. And it's pretty much most of us in Western society have this. It tends to be more with guys, but again, it's not just a guy thing, it's, it's women too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's great. Now I kind of want to, uh, so, okay. Yeah. So basically when, when you, when you coach people, right, you don't teach anything about technical stuff or anything like that. Right. I try and steer clear from that because I honor everyone's methodology. I think there's a lot of ways you can extract money from the market. So not uh-huh. just my way. Yeah. Uh-huh. So what would, cause I, I know we talked about that before, but what would be your uh, your advice for, for someone who's looking to master trading? Well, you remember, Atien, I think I'm in our that podcast. I mentioned I yeah. no longer like to use the phrase master trading. Um, uh-huh. I would say that um, if, if maybe to rephrase the question, like what can someone do to really? I, I think it's really important to kind of rephrase the question, like what can someone do to become a better trader couple things. I mean, two things. One is, first thing is, what are, your, what are you good at? What are your strengths as a trader? And what are your strengths as a, just as a person? You want to look at that and you want to play to your strengths. I mean, yeah, you want to identify, the second thing is you want to identify your weaknesses and you want to attend to those, certainly. But you're going to get a bigger bang for your buck by strengthening, by building up your strengths. You'll always get a bigger bang for your buck. Um, by working, by focusing and building up the strengths. So I, that's a big one. Now, the weaknesses, you can't ignore those. And I'm going to say that most traders, another piece of advice I would get, give them, we kind of touched on this earlier, team, is that um, most people want things to happen too quickly. They, and you need to recognize that it will happen when it happens. It's not going to happen on your agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's huge to understand for sure. Yeah. What would you say then to someone who's looking for like the best strategy? <laughs> the best strategy. Well, the best strategy for today may not be the best strategy for tomorrow. That's what I would tell them. <laughs> it changes. You got to be flexible. It's, it, there's an old saying among floor traders. I, I've known a lot of floor traders in New York and Chicago, and it's the, their slogan is adapt or perish. So I, in my opinion, there's no best that, that, that's always the best. Yeah, exactly. I guess that's the point. You have to stick to something, right? Yeah, you got to know when to change. That's the trick, right? That's what the quant traders struggle with and the black box, the automated systems traders struggle with. Because I've had some of them as clients as well, believe it or not, not just discretionary mm-hmm. traders. And they struggle with when do I turn the system off? When do I modify the system? Can you help help me stop tinkering with my system and everything else? So, I've had. so yeah. 
So I guess there's two problems with that. There's a problem with uh, kind of staying too long on strategy and then not staying mm -hmm. long enough, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, exactly. There's a guy I think of right now from South Africa. Um, in fact, Igor, he, he wrote a testimony on my website. He was a systems trader, automated trader, and wanted help because what happened was is he was getting in and tinkering with the system, um, but then it was really working. He just did not like dealing with the drawdowns. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we were able to he was able to reach his goal. And not only that, but we had a secondary goal where he, he wanted to, to become profitable discretionary trading as well. So we also did that. But his big one was learning to deal with his automated system better. And, he was, and that, that was tough for him. It wasn't easy, but we got through it. Mm -hmm. That's great. I'm just trying to look at the question. We have a couple of questions in the same, the same line. What would be some good like good uh, mindset mindset liner or advice that you could give to traders? Hmm. Let's see. Um, don't try and be perfect. Like the person or the people who are listening who are wanting to go from sim or demo to live, um, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to be far from perfect. And really, really great traders are very far from perfect. So I'm going to tell everyone, don't even consider trying to become perfect. You're going to have, there's going to be messy things that are going to happen. You're going to take some losses. You're going to take some losses more than more so than you thought you were going to take. And you're going to have some wins that you didn't expect either. Things are going to happen that you didn't expect. And just be, be prepared for the unexpected. Mm-hmm. And as you always say, I think it's not about being perfect, it's about being excellent, right? Um, yeah, in fact, I would even modify that. It's not so much, I mean, that's it's a nice aphorism, but mm -hmm. saying it's a little bit empty because being how can you be excellent constantly all the time? I, I, I kind of, I, re, I would restate that and say it's not about being perfect, it's just, it's really about being aware. And, mm -hmm. it's, and it's, it's about being aware and being self-honest. So I think self-awareness and, and, and self-honesty um, are actually, those are doable, more attainable than just, I'm going to be excellent. I mean, yeah, we can say we're going to be excellent. That's, you know, that's going to be pretty hard. That's a pretty tough marching order. I'm going to be excellent every day. I don't think that's actually realistic. It's more realistic to say, I'm going to try and be really aware, and I'm going to try and be really honest with myself today. Mm -hmm. And evaluate what I'm doing, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would be your, your kind of advice? Or what would you say for someone who is wondering if you should keep a trade until it hits the stop loss or could it like cut the, the losses short? Right. Yeah. You know, there's no clear answer on that. I mean, yeah. You know, it's just, you know, I wrestle with that too. And I think what happens is I have to recognize market conditions. Is there an expansion or contraction of volatility in the product you're trading? Because maybe there is a reason to, to modify where you get out. But then you have to ask yourself, this is where I go to, what am I feeling and why am I feeling it? So this person who's asking the question, they want to save themselves a few dollars by getting out early. So you're feeling nervous that this trade's not going to work. Why? In other words, go and do the writing. That may help you. That may lead you down a different path, perhaps. So the why could be either like you're impatient to close it or something like that, right? Yeah, it's because you're maybe nervous. Maybe you're the kind of person who every time a trade doesn't work immediately, you want to get out of it, but doesn't mean it's not going to work ever. It just maybe those t trades that take longer to work make you more anxious and you tend to get out of those trades too early. 
That would mm-hmm. not be a good thing. So you have to need to look at what's happening there. It's the anxiety of being in a trade that's still technically working. You need to mm-hmm. deal with the anxiety. I think I can relate to this a little bit, but to me, I think it was more the idea of uh, kind of not being wrong or being stuck with a loss. So you kind of want to get out early to make sure you don't lose too much. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that's the trading not to lose piece, right? Yeah. 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 That's where that comes back. So, you know, you're going to take, you know, you can't avoid losses and you can't avoid, you know, you know, real losses. Um, I was going to say substantial losses, but that's maybe not the right word. But you, you can't avoid taking a you know, you know, a real hit here and there. It's going to happen. Um, and those traders who want to avoid that, I would just say you're in the wrong game. You should try something else. Uh huh. Totally. What would you see are some books that uh, influenced you in trading or not trading, maybe? Yeah. Um, hmm. Well. You know, more than a book, what's really influenced me a lot in the last two years since I've been involved in it, and I haven't really talked much about it publicly. That's maybe the first time I actually talk about it publicly, I think. I've talked about it with some of my clients, is that I've actually been involved in taking improvisational acting classes. Hmm. Actually, I have one coming up there in a couple hours. Um, and it's been very helpful. It's been very influential on my trading and even my coaching um, for a number of reasons. Um, It's helped me to stay in the present moment. It's helped me to not have my own personal agenda because you have to kind of follow where the client's going and you have to follow where the market's going and you can't direct it. You've got to just stay with them and see what's happening. And it's, it's, all, it's about being real in the situation. Um, so I've gotten a lot out of that experience. It's, I, I keep taking more and more classes. I keep taking more and more advanced classes because I'm getting so much out of it. And um, so there have been... You know, it's interesting. The books that I've read that probably influenced my trading the most, a lot of those books were probably not trading books, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I'm just going to take a glance at my bookshelf, turn around here and see. Um, a lot of my books are boxed up right now. But, um, hmm. you, know, I would, you know, I can't think of one off the top of my head, one particular book, but the improvisational acting has been really helpful. Another interesting influence that's helped me a lot Um, in my trading, and I mentioned this to clients as well, is that um, about a year and a half ago, my daughter came home with a cat. We had no pets in the house. And, um, you know, the cat sort of become very attached to me and spends a lot of time on my lap. And it's been really, really nice having this connection with this furry friend every day. And, you know, last year, 2015 was difficult market for most traders. It was one of my best years ever as a trader. And I, and I don't really know what I was doing differently. It's, I mean, I didn't really have any significant changes to my strategy. So I just was doing things that I usually do, but just doing them a little bit better. And I, and I, you know, I think it was the improv acting as well as my, my furry friend sitting in my lap is what was really helping me. So you, it's, it's interesting where you can get the help. You might get it from an area that you never thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the improv cast are interesting because it's something I've been doing too for like probably three years about that. Oh, you do, are and, you an improviser too? Cool. Yeah, well, not improvisation, but more public speaking and more uh, Toastmaster or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of similar, but that helped a lot just to like either yeah. to be more, more comfortable. Well, the improv- improvising is a, has a very specific 
philosophy behind it different than public speaking because I've done mm-hmm. both. The imp- there's a lot of you know there's a lot of wisdom within the improvisational um, tradition um, that's different than public speaking. So, but yeah, so the public speaking is probably helps you to kind of I would imagine face anxiety. Right, I mean, it helps yeah. you deal with things that make you uncomfortable. Like, yeah, yeah, it's really about being being uncomfortable all the time, and you have to deal with it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it helps mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, so anything people can do that makes them uncomfortable, but it's not going to cause you harm. Like you, a team like going to Toastmasters, that's great. I would encourage others to, you know, find something that makes you a little, or not crazy uncomfortable, but just you know, manageably uncomfortable, and then and go for it and lean into it. That's going to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Is there any kind of time limit you should trade per day, or is there an amount of time you recommend people to trade? You know, the, pretty much the longer you trade, the, the greater the probability goes up that you're going to have a that you're going to do something you later regret. So, um, you know, I, I, it's not like three hours or eight hours or two hours. It's not like a specific number, but it's just generally the longer you go, the more tired you're going to get. Your psychological capital levels will decrease, and there's just a greater probability. As time goes on, that you're gonna, you know, do things that you you, you wish you didn't do. So, um, you know, there's no set amount, but again, it's just the more you do it, the greater exposure you have to problems. Mm-hmm. So, it's all about uh, decision fatigue, right? Over time. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. Yeah, you know, it's one word to do with glucose depletion, decision fatigue. Yeah, all mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, I guess. I'm just going to ask uh, one last time if you guys have any questions, type them in the chat box. I know we had a couple of questions. And maybe, Andrew, you can tell us how we can connect with you because I want to respect your time and stuff. So tell sure. us how people can find you. Yeah, probably the best way would be my, my website, andrewmenneker.com, or on Twitter, Andrew Menneker on Twitter. I think, um, I think I, that's just the name for my, my Twitter handle. And I've got my contact page, or andrewmenneker at Gmail is my email address. People can ask me questions through that as well. Perfect. And I kind of want to keep this really, really actionable. So what would be like steps people would have to take today if they want to improve their trading? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think everyone, it's a real no brainer and it's, it's absolutely free. Sign up for my newsletter because you'll get tips every two weeks, psychological, specific psychological tips every two weeks in your inbox. So I'd sign up for that and I would get yourself a, a, a journal and a pen if you don't already have one, because you may already have a journal, but chances are you're writing in things like, what the market did and what you did and what the market did and what you did. Instead, I want you to, and that's okay, keep doing that. That's fine. You'll learn about the market that way, but you're not going to learn about yourself. So maybe get a second journal where you write about what you're feeling and as, do it as honestly as you can. So that would, that would be my recommendation. And do you do it only once per day or before trading or all the time? All the time. Definitely pre, pre-trading. If you're an impulse trader, someone who has a lot of impulse issues, you want to definitely do it before trading. Um, and you want to be doing it is you can't do it often enough pretty much for traders like that. Hmm. Really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I do want to respect your time. I know you have the improv class <laughs> tonight. Yeah. So that's yeah. going to be awesome. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's been great. I think people will have a lot of value. So is there any parting piece of advice you want to leave people with? Um, you know, it's interesting when I talking in front of a group, I, I understand that there's a wide variety of people at different developmental stages of, of being a trader. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to address everyone, but I will just say that probably most of the people who are listening, um, probably did not go into trading, realizing what trading really involves. And, and I think many of you 
are probably realizing that trading does involve a lot of just your psychology. So what I would say is that um, if you believe that trading does involve, you know, the internal stuff, what's inside of you, then you want to carve out some time and energy and attend to that. And don't every time you have difficulty taking losses or waiting, don't just join another chat room thinking that's the solution, that someone's going to guide you to a better trade setup. That's not going to be the solution. You're still going to put on impulse trades and you're still going to have a hard time with losers if that's your problem. Joining any service will not solve that problem. Mm -hmm, that's right. It's not only about technical stuff. So it's also about... You got to look in the mirror. People yeah. have to look in the mirror. Yeah. Not, most traders won't do that. And they'll spend a lot of time and energy and spin their wheels for years and, and, and without doing it. So... Mm -hmm. Great. So guys, it's been a pleasure to have you here on the webinar. I know these guys are really passionate about trading or really action takers. They're probably going to check your stuff, probably subscribe to your newsletter as well. And yeah, I think they're going to have really something to work on. Definitely. Great. Great. So guys, I'm going to stop the recording. If you have any questions, just go on this trade. either uh, write me a message or something. Let me know. Check out the Facebook group. And in any case, if you have any questions, I'll transmit them to uh, Dr. Andrew Manneker afterward. And we'll be able to, uh, We'll be able to get in touch with him for sure. Thanks for listening to the Desire to Trade podcast. To get all the information on this show, free articles, and unique resources, make sure to check out www.desiretotrade.com and subscribe. Please leave us a review and let us know what you thought about the show. It's time to become the best trader you can be. See you next time.